Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, I posted the photo and people are like, oh, nice smile. I was like, no, that's the Bobby Eaton special. <laughs> I, I grew that specifically for Bobby. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. How are you doing? I am glory, gloriously upright. <laughs> I, upright is a good start. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm like I say, any day above ground is is a good day. Any day you put your feet on the floor is a good day. So I'm I'm and I'm here with you. So I'm happy. Oh bless you! It's even it's an even better day. It's an even better day because uh, in only the past week or so, I believe you've discovered that you're part Scottish. Yes, I so did one of those exciting. games. Yeah, I that well, growing up, I always thought I was part Irish, uh, Norwegian, which I, I told a, a girlfriend in high school I was part Norwegian. She said, She said, Where's Norwegia? and I just broke up with her. <laughs> so, for shoot, uh, and I, I like there's the rest of me was parts unknown, you know, like as they say in wrestling. So. Me and the wife, Mrs. Meany, did our uh, ancestry, <clears throat> which she joked. She she joked, watch it, watch. We'll find out we're related somehow. Uh, so, um, yeah, part Irish, uh, Norwegian, which I knew. And then the curveball, not curveball, but like the wild card was Scottish. I was like, oh, cool. You know, what's your, what's your experience of Scotland? Not much, unfortunately. Uh, I drove there to fly out of the airport, and that was about it. Uh, I did a loop in the UK, maybe 2017, maybe. Uh, I did, like, three shows, and then uh, it, it, the the one show was in Carlisle, and then I had to, I had to drive from Carlisle to Glasgow to fly, oh. to fly to London, which I wish I, I, wish I would have stayed in Scotland. You, know? you don't you don't have time like well it's it's easy to say oh have you been there chances are you've been everywhere but you've not really had time to truly appreciate it because you're no. in there you do the thing and you dip away again but now you know this now you know that there's this scottishness to your to your history when yes. the now the world is cooling are there are there plans to visit 
dude i would love to yeah seriously uh mrs meanie loves to that's a good thing about you know dating a wrestler is we travel a lot and i'm i'm so used to the airports and doing things that things that might freak her out i go calm down it'll be all right and you know we're good yeah but yeah we definitely want to come over there uh last time i was there was 2018 for uh, i did uh oh i went to a american football game over there and uh we, we spent a couple of days so it's been a it's been a long while so we look forward to seeing you again here soon but... oh too long i love it over there i <clears throat> the uh british fans or fans of the uk or you know a lot like south philly very passionate when it comes to sports very knowledgeable and if you suck they let you know oh uh, gosh yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's why i love the fans over there man they're not afraid to say what, what what's on their mind and the fact that like I got a decent reaction, man. I must have been doing something right in their eyes. So I'll take that as a win. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We are, we're here not so much to talk about Scotland, but we'll probably do it back. You never know. Uh, we're, but we're here to talk about um, sending you onto a desert island, Blue Meanie. Oh, what did I do to you, man? What's the uh, heat? It's nothing personal, but I just feel like after a year of isolation, I think the one thing we all need is more isolation. <laughs> Well, at least it'll be warmer weather. Exactly. We're going to send you somewhere <laughs> nice with the warm weather. So uh, in order to, uh, to to facilitate this, we're going to give you a DVD. Uh, and on that DVD will be three wrestling matches that you can watch while you are there. Uh, matches with some significance to you or some impact to your lifetimes and what have you. So what would you like your first wrestling match to be, Blue Mini? Wow. There, uh, you know, there's such a wide array of stuff I could pick. You know, like when people are like, what's your Mount, Mount Rushmore? I'm like, I hate Mount Rushmore because there's more people. But three matches I, I, I think I could do. Uh, there's, you know, maybe three matches that I've watched a lot growing up. Uh, just for this, you know, uh, you know, back when we had VCRs, uh, I would watch a, a match until the, the tape broke. Uh, match number one would probably have to be <clears throat> dramatic pause. Uh, probably one of my all-time favorite matches, and that would be uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Randy Savage at WrestleMania three. All right, Ricky the yeah. Dragon Steamboat, someone special, George the Animal Steel in your corner. However, in my opinion, this could be your last shot at Randy Savage and the Intercontinental Title. My last opportunity, Randy Savage. The day has finally come. The minutes, the seconds, we have reached our moment. As you and I climb into the ring, we clash like two titans. But there will only be one winner. One winner, Savage. This dragon will be fire. This dragon will scorch your back. I will come away with the championship belt and see new horizons. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat threatening to scorch the body of the reigning intercontinental champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage. And in fact, here he comes. Like he always does. 
Macho Man doesn't like it one bit, Jess. Well, I'll tell you what, the main thing right now is not for Macho Man not to worry about Animal Steel and Elizabeth. He has to concentrate on the Dragon Ricky Steamboat and the defense of this Intercontinental Championship. I'm a, I'm a little weird that, like, I try to do three things chronologically, too. So it's just like, okay, this was before those two matches. So, uh, I'm but weird. That- yeah. I like I like it. I like it. We're gonna it's gonna be like a nice like cross section of your career starting from the eighties and moving forward. Your life and career rather. I don't think you're wrestling in the eighties. I'd be surprised if you were. Yeah, there's plenty of moments in wrestling that got me emotionally. Like uh you know, the first time I cried for pro wrestling was when uh Ray Dick, Ray Stevens po- po- gave uh Jimmy Snooker a pile driver on the concrete and you know, I tried to hide my tears by I did the uh, Christmas story. I ran into the kitchen and hid under the uh, thing and shut the hid under the sink and shut the door shut. Oh, bless I, you. I was afraid if my mom saw me crying for Jimmy Snuka that she would take my wrestling away. Oh, <laughs> but, bless but, you. But as far as matches and the the setup to that match, which was done with uh, Randy Savage, uh, you know, he set up uh, Ricky Steamboat on the outside and did the axe handle on the guardrail and then brought him in the ring and him in the throat with a bell. And like Ricky couldn't breathe. And the way Ricky sold it, uh, going to the back and then where he's falling off the stretcher, you had to wheel him back on the stretcher. And there's this sense of urgency uh, to um, get him back there. And then like the weeks leading into it, they show him going to a speech therapist and all this stuff. And he's going to settle his score, you know, and they did a bunch of other things where, you know, Ricky tries to get to him and we'll settle the score at, uh, you know, WrestleMania three, which uh, also is very sentimental for me because those first couple WrestleManias, you know, everybody has the luxury of watching in their home. Now, uh, back when I, I, you know, grew up, you know, you had to go to close circuit, you know, venues to watch, you know, events like that. You actually had to leave your home and go to a theater full of other wrestling fans to watch wrestling on a big screen like you're watching the movie. So, you know, the first three WrestleManias I went to with my grandfather and I and I hold those uh those moments pretty close to my heart because my grandfather, you know, he he was he was my dad. So just uh having life moments like that, that that match, besides what happened in the ring, brings back memories for you know, my childhood. So for those uh, who, who who live in the area, what was the theater that you went to where you watched it on closed circuit? I grew up in Atlantic City, which means there, uh, there was a lot of casinos. So WrestleMania 1, 2, and 3, I saw at a casino called Resorts in Atlantic City. And uh, it was pretty cool, man. Uh, you, you show up to the theater, and in the lobby, they have gimmick tables, merchandise tables, as if you're at the venue, you know, you could get the WrestleMania t-shirt or the program or the hat, which I probably still have somewhere in storage somewhere. I still have my WrestleMania four hat that's hanging over here, but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you, you buy a ticket and you wait in line and (laughs) I had my own, like uh, Christmas story keeps coming up (laughs) and my own, uh, Christmas story moment where I'm standing there and I'm like, little kid waiting to go in and this little lady turns around looks at me and sees I'm all excited. I go, I can't, I, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, like the guy going, I like the tin man, you know, <laughs> in the Christmas story. So it's just like being a geek, you know? Uh, but yeah, you go in there, you, you sit like uh, we were able to sit in a, like a little booth kind of like 
know, if you saw the Las Vegas Rat Pack sitting in the booth in the corner somewhere, we had a nice little booth we sat in, and there's this gigantic screen, and you're watching, and you're reacting as if they're in the room with you. It was like the the, the coolest experience, you know? They they don't seem to... I, I, there they've started wanting to bring that back. They did that for WrestleMania, and partly because, like, so many cinemas have fallen quiet over the last 12 months. They had people watching in cinemas again. But did you find that if you, you were going on the regular to uh, to this theater, did you did you meet the same people? Did you make friends through that? Um, unfortunately, no. Mm. Uh, eventually, I went to WrestleMania 4, and I made, a, I, I made an acquaintance there that uh, I would was friends with you know for a while and then years went by we hadn't talked for ages i get into the wrestling business and i go to a show in northeast philly and he shows up he's like you've you've we were talking about last time i talked to him we were kids talking about wrestling and then next time i see him i'm a wrestler so oh wow that must be you stay in touch with him we we did for a couple years by phone i lived in uh, atlantic city at the time he was in philadelphia but uh, my grandma was a stickler for me making long distance calls, which were used to be a thing. Uh, if you called somebody over 30 miles, they, they dinged your phone bill for extra money. You know, Brian, how long you been on the phone for? <laughs> Two uh, hours. What? You know, just uh, things that we don't have to worry about anymore, you know, with cell phones and everything like that or Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. a call like this would have been like 50 bucks back in the 80s this has been, a, this has been an expensive business interviewing folk especially yeah. during a pandemic i think how lucky we were brian to be at a point where we have suffered this great this this great shutdown of planet earth but we've managed to do it at a time where we're able to communicate for free and we have access to every movie ever made i think yeah. we've lucked out there dude i think of all the the, the money i spent on buying bootleg wrestling tapes <laughs> You know, people recording stuff off TV and I'll order this comp. Oh, the best of Road Wars, best of Muda, best of this, best of that. Now it's out there for free. And I'm just like, man, I could have just been a little bit more patient. (laughs) You know, I'd still have that money. You know, how did you get into wrestling tape trading? Uh, It was it was I I started uh, I grew up in Atlantic City. And once I went to Atlantic City High School, I ran. I made a friend named Justin. Rosanio and he's been meeting him was like a big part of my life because I always wanted to be a wrestler but I didn't know how so he introduced me to the world of being of smart marks you know I I had always knew it was kind of a work but through him I would travel to Philly and meet other fans who knew it was a work and all this stuff and I started getting into the newsletters and all that stuff and you know with Dave Meltzer and stuff like that he would have a section for Hey, so-and-so in Idaho is looking for the best of so-and-so and then, you, or so-and-so has a catalog and you, you know, send away for a catalog and then, you know, you get a catalog about this. There's this guy in New York, his last name, his name was Steve Friedlander. His catalog was about this thick and I, I'm looking through it and it's just like, like a 13 year old looking through a lingerie catalog when he was, you know, Oh, <laughs> I could get that tape, <laughs> but it's wrestling. Uh, so I, I would see all this stuff and, you know, you know, this you sent away for it and then you get tapes and then you find other fans and then you correspond with them. And then 
then you start, you know, hooking up two VCRs together and you're dubbing off tapes and sending it. I'll send you this. You send me that. And then when ECW came with a thing and I had, you know, weekly ECW TV, I would send away, you know, before I was in the business, I was sending away tapes and they would send me their stuff. But it was just years and years and years of just trading and buying, trading and all that good stuff, you know. It's and again, like when you think now where it's just a case of everything's just at your fingertips now. And it's, but disgusting. There's some, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> there's, some, there's something quite tactile about about owning those VHSs that are sort of lovingly crafted and, and, and edited and put together. And was there was there one take me back to you you're flicking through the lingerie catalogue. <laughs> Yes, the, the, it, you know it's kind of close. It's it's still people in underpants, but slightly yeah. different. Yeah. Um. And was there one that you that you took a punt on, because like you might have gone, oh, I know that guy. I like him. I like them. I like them. Was there one that you thought I might try that one and see what they're like? Uh, I started getting into like I was always fascinated with wanting to watch wrestling from Japan, mm. and uh, you know, there was all the the after magazines and. There's like this one collection. Of, there's one VHS they put out, Wrestling from Japan. The address was from in Philadelphia, which is oddly enough. And I almost sent away for it, but it wasn't until I started getting the lingerie catalogs uh, that, you know, I was like, you know, this guy's got a lot of, <laughs> there's a, you know, the wrestler Misawa, but me not, not never knowing Misawa. I was like, Miss AWA, was this lady wrestling? Was she? she in the AWA? Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know it was Misawa, you know? So I was like, oh, let me get some uh, Misawa matches and stuff like that. And boy, man, watching some matches from, you know, you know Japan, Japan just changed my whole perspective because you realize how good wrestling is that there is no language barrier. You know, you can watch a match. Uh, you have no idea what the commentators are saying, but you're still the, the actions speak to you and uh bring you in you know so you know later on when i start watching you know you know japanese wrestling it just it, it, it i went i was in this wwf bubble mm. and then eventually we we got you know uh nwa and nwa growing up in lanc was awesome because i had philadelphia tv and new york tv because people would come down from New York, the vacation. So they kept New York channel. So people would stay longer in Atlantic city and not miss their Yankee games their giants or whatever. It's going on back home. So I, I would watch WWF on Philly and New York channels. I would watch everything, you know, like that. But, uh, I grew out of that bubble and then discovered there's wrestling all over the world. You know, uh, you know, when rollerball, rollerball Rocco died or, or there's a, a one wrestler who died in the ring over in England. And that made the news here in the United States. I was like, Oh, they got wrestling in England. Mm. Yeah. Just not knowing, you know, you know, being a kid, you know, pre-internet, you know, just, uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go on. I was, I interrupted you. It's very rude of me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It just, it was just a eye opening experience. So like, discovering wrestling in japan and watching wrestling in japan you know it, it was it was uh it was awesome when was it that you decided that you wanted to be in the lingerie catalog <laughs> uh it was something that 
was always something I wanted to do. Uh, and my family was like, <laughs> that's cute. Cause I grew up, I grew up a uh, severe asthmatic and, uh, every spring and every fall I would be in a hospital and, um, you know, you would wake up and you can't breathe and your face is blue and they're rushing you in ambulance to the hospital, that kind of stuff. So, Oh, I'm, I want to be a professional wrestler. How, uh, I couldn't, you know, in high school, I couldn't play football. I was allergic to the field. Uh, you know, I, I had every form of food allergy. I was allergic to any pet with hair. I couldn't have a cat. I couldn't have a dog. I couldn't have a, you know, a, a gerbil or, or a pet mouse or whatever. I couldn't have anything because everything affected me. <clears throat> so here I am, this little kid going, I want to be a professional wrestler. They're like, ah, that's cute. And I spent most of my life fantasizing about being a professional wrestler. Uh, just thinking about it. What do I, what would I do in certain situations? You know, uh, we, we had family in Philadelphia and anytime we would take the bus from Atlantic city back to Philly to visit relatives or, you know, aunts, uncles and all that stuff, I would pretend I'm on the road going to a show, <laughs> you know, just like, here's my little bag. Let me get on the bus. I'm going to do this interview. And I was, it's like the weirdest thing. Like, I'm a big believer. If you can fantasize something and visualize it, you, you get the feeling of what it could be. And that, that helps you in your journey to do whatever your chosen field is. You know, if you can visualize it, see yourself doing it and commit to that visual, you could do it. And uh, the, the fact that like uh, the day after WrestleMania 10, I, I packed up my car and drove to Ohio to train with Al Snow. My family was like, oh, I guess he's serious. You know, <laughs> I was just like, uh, you know, and then, you know, through training with Al, you know, that was really my, my first time doing strenuous, you know, physical. I mean, I participated in gym class, but nothing like professional wrestling, you know, taking first bumps and hitting the ropes and getting used to that and stuff like that. It's just, um, just crazy. It's something I wanted since I, I saw my first match. In uh, 1982, my first match I ever saw was uh, Tony Gree and Rick Martel against Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito, where Fuji and Saito screwed him out of the tag belts. And uh, from that point, I don't know what was on the rest of the show. I remember that match. And from there on out, I was like, that's what I want to do. So take me back to before we get to your training with Al Snow, you're in the back of the car. In, yeah. in, your, in your mind, in your mind, you're on your way to the wrestling show. Yeah. Uh, 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 at that age um yeah. who are you wrestling what's the story what's your what's your character can you remember did you visualize it to that extent like who are you on your way on the roads which coliseum are you off to to face Mini? oh dude i've had millions of matches uh unfortunately since i've had some real matches i've been hitting a lot so i forgot a lot of stuff but mm -hmm. i could just remember just sitting on the bus visualizing uh, and it was just like as what a 10 year old would think you know mm. <laughs> probably probably not that good <laughs> you know you, i could probably if i remember something you go oh yeah thanks for sharing that uh uh, <laughs> uh i regret I that question <laughs> i thought it might be like oh i was gonna slam up well i'm gonna slam that big giant andre i'm gonna i'm gonna help ricky steamboat in, I in his i pursuit. do remember i do remember having like an angle with maybe Adrian Adonis or something like that. Uh, when Adrian was a badass, 
You know, yeah. he used to come to the ring with the leather jacket. He had the briefcase with the handcuff. And the briefcase said, uh, relax with Trudy. And I'm like, who the fuck is <laughs> who, who is Trudy? You know, and they never explained that. You know, I, I wish he would have lived long enough for me to go, who's Trudy? And why was I on your briefcase? Uh, I think a band to have a, a, a chat show in the late 80s called The Flower Shop in a very masculine wrestling world. I think I think Donald's always a badass. I think to, <laughs> to do that, I think that's even tougher. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, yeah, he once he went that route, because I would, dude, Adon, uh, Adrian Don's Dick Murdoch was probably one of the most underrated tag teams. And um, yeah, so. Uh, probably yeah, Adonis. A young. Brian Heffron, you know, taking a 45 minute to an hour bus ride from Atlantic City to Philadelphia. I think I had an angle with uh, Adonis and Murdoch over the uh, WWF tag belts. But I don't even know. I don't even know who my partner would have been or whatever. But I, I distinctly remember I was a big fan of that tag team. And they came out with that model tag team belts at the time. They had one, beat them, beat Rocky Johnson, and Tony Atlas. They had the vintage belts and then they brought these new belts and they oh, didn't the have... ones where like the curve at the bottom I'm, uh, kind of, I'm kind of drawing it on the screen now like those like i can't describe did... the circle it's like so it's like the shape the shape's like a circle but someone squashed it at the bottom no, <laughs> not those those Weird image those no. those debuted with uh barry windham and mike rotunda at the philadelphia ah, spectrum my apologies. Uh, those belts those belts debuted in philadelphia these belts were they they were shaped just like the NWA world belt that Flair had, but there was no domed globe and they were silver, but like the shape was like, you know, like a letter, like almost like a mailbox kind of, you know? Okay. And, and I, I've, oh, I they weren't I around for that long. Those belts weren't, weren't around for that long. Uh, Dick Murdoch, Adrian Donis held them. And then they lost them to Wyndham Rotunda. Sheik and Volkoff won the, that design at WrestleMania one. Mm-hmm. Those belt, the design wasn't around long, but it it stuck out to me for some reason. I'm a I'm a huge belt mark, as you can tell. I got a BWO championship belt in my background. So. Uh, what would um okay in terms of we won't do like a tier list or anything like that, but when it comes to the the, the designs for the WWE championship belt over the years, uh, yeah. which which is the best one, Mooney? Oh, the winged eagle. That's the right answer. It's always yeah. the right answer. Anything else is wrong. The and the thing one, that drives me nuts about it is I wish they would have kept it long, around long enough for Steve Austin to wear because that belt was made for him. Mm-hmm. And then like, it seemed like he won the belt and the next night they debuted the big Eagle. So I was like, Oh man, I wish Austin could have held on to the winged winged Eagle a little bit longer. You know, it's a nice belt. It's a nice belt. Oh, gorgeous. And Lord. it's the best one. With um, let's just move back then. It's just WrestleMania 10's been and gone. You're on your way to Lima, Ohio, and you've already mentioned there that you had uh, issues uh, with allergies and bad asthma. So, how yeah. do you overcome that in wrestling training? Uh, fortunately, <clears throat> over the course of the years, uh, eighth grade, uh, freshman year of high school, uh, I, I, I used to go to the doctor every Thursday. I remember this every day, every Thursday. My grandfather would come pick me up at school. We'd go to the doctor's. I, I would have to get a, a shot in the arm uh, for my allergies, asthma, and all that stuff. Eventually, my doctor is like, you know what? I, we've been doing this. I think I, I, I'm i going to start recommending you to this lung specialist in Margate, New Jersey, which was two towns over. You know, if you're driving, it's 10 minutes. If by bus, it's 
half hour, whatever. Uh, this doctor named Dr. Hugo Altamarino. And then uh, I went to start going to him once a week and he properly diagnosed my allergies. He got me properly medicated. Like they would do this sadistic thing where they would take your arm and poke little holes and then uh, put little droplets in there and write what the droplet was. And if you have an allergic reaction, circle it, circle it, circle. So they figured out what I was allergic to and figured out how to properly start to medicate me. Uh, yeah. And I was on like uh, prednisone, which is a steroid. Uh, most famously, Jerry Lewis was on it. So when that time when Jerry Lewis's face kind of blew up like that, he was on prednisone, which happened to me. Like I, my face blew up a little bit. I started breaking out prematurely grew facial hair. Um, so, but like through that and getting properly medicated, my lungs got stronger. So by the time I graduated high school, I was doing a little bit better. Uh, but you go to Al and here, here's a great analogy. Like my, my first <clears throat> week with Al, he had to get new boards for the ring. Uh, he had a wooden ring. One of the boards broke. We, we went to the local lumber shop to get the board and we all had to carry these, this board up the stairs and I'm dying. I'm like falling against the wall, like, <gasps> uh, you know, can't breathe, whatever. Maybe four or five months ago, another board breaks. And this time it's just me and Al taking it because like, the board wouldn't fit in the elevator. So we had to go up six flights of steps with this board and I'm just gingerly, and he's like, he turns around and he goes, you're, you're, you're in shape now. I was like, Oh, I didn't, I, it wasn't even like a thing. I constantly, he, he had to point it out to me because he remembered the first time. So, uh, just, you know, getting in the ring with Al, thank God I found Al, uh, cause he was overly patient with me. Uh, you know, I didn't pick up things right away and there's plenty of times I wanted to quit and he talked me out of it, you know, where a lot of wrestling schools will just back then at least, you know, we'll bump you until you quit and keep your money. You know, he, he wanted to make sure, you know, I knew what I was doing, but uh, yeah, it wasn't until I got in there with Al and just repetition of doing stuff in the ring, learning how to properly breathe in the ring, you know, to conserve energy and all this stuff. Just, you know, I, I eventually started figuring out what to do, you know, and then Al Snow, a lot of people say how wonderful Al Snow is as a teacher because he does push you through uh, those things and he does it in a very, in a very unique way. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of love for Al Snow. And he still does it now. He's, you know, he's uh, at OVW. He's, he's still guiding people now. And, yeah. and, that, and that's, that's a testament to, to the skill that he's got as a trainer, that he's still training the stars of 2021. You know? Yeah, look at that roster. He trained in Ohio Valley through, you know, through the, the, you know, when Ohio Valley was the main training center. Oh, all yeah. The start, all the start, you know, Cena, Batista, you know, that whole, it was like a murderer's row of talent that went through there at the same time. And Al had a hand in training them. Incredible. It was before you joined ECW, you were, you were running the Indies once you got into it. Um, what are your early shows? I heard you talk about this on Talk is Jericho. Uh, and, and I want to know a bit more. I'm fascinated. It was in a horse barn. It was a reverse yeah. battle royal. Horrible. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, it was horrible. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, and it, 
it was horrible, but yet it helped build character. Mm, character. Uh, Every bit of trauma's character building, they tell you. Oh my god. Um I wrestled for this promotion and the, the initials were WOW. And I forget what it stood for, but when I got there, I literally went, Wow, we're in a we're in a horse barn. <laughs> and uh this is like Dude, it was amazing. It, it was for this guy named Tyler Cates in uh, West Virginia. And it was like my first big payday. It was like, he's like, oh, I could give you 80 bucks. I went, 80 bucks. Oh, my God. You know, I thought I was making a million. It felt, you know, 80 bucks felt like a million bucks back then. And, uh, you know, we did it. And uh, a lot of the guys who I eventually work with you know a lot of guys i knew from the northeast indies was on that show like tom brandy uh king kalua and all those stuff and tom brandy was a, a good influence on me you know he uh i met him when i was 18 years old at a or 17 at a wrestling event i talked about how i wanted to be a wrestler he's like he's like how old are i was like oh, 17 he's like you're good you know and then like he kept encouraging me to get into the wrestling business but uh, he was on that show and then we get word in the locker and Raven and Stevie Richards were on that show, which was instrumental into me getting the ECW. There's like three shows I did that they were on and I was on. And then like the third show, they watched my match. And that's where, you know, Raven pitched the idea for me of joining Raven's flock. But this was like the second show of that trilogy. And it was just horrible. It was just in this horse barn. And then we had to pretend that, um, you know, we were professional wrestlers who had to act like we've never entered a ring before, you know, like they're like, there's the, the boards in the ring or hey, here's that theme again, the, the board, the, <laughs> a board in the ring broke. Don't go. It won't, you know, it won't hold everybody. So we have to do first person in the ring wins. And these professional, you know, these grown men are like, all right, I'm almost in <laughs> looking around and then you have to oh, fake it back. Oh, oh. <laughs> It, so it, it eliminates the best part of a battle royal and a Royal Rumble, which is that bit in the corner where you're spending ages trying to get somebody over. How do you do that in a reverse battle royal? I, I think somebody charged somebody and they backdropped <laughs> them into the ring. Uh, and who knows? It was so bad. It, I remember it was so bad. It was good. And I remember it all these years later. It was uh, Raven that that turned you into the Blue Meanie, wasn't it? Because was yeah. this was this Zebra Kid Brian Rollins at this point? I was Brian Rollins. I might have dropped. Yeah, I think I was Zebra Kid Brian Rollins at the same. Mm. Oh, oh, horrible name! But uh, hey, yeah. I can't think of anybody with the surname Rollins getting on in the industry. To be honest with you, <laughs> what a what an odd surname. Everything else is fine. Yeah. Um, well, I had a worse name before that. It was Brian St. John. I was like, oh, sounds I very British. That. Well, now that, now that I know. Well, there you go. Now you've got the bit of Irish, bit of Scottish in there. Brian St. John to get over. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Zebra Kid, Brian Rollins. Uh, and yeah, uh, it, I did a show in Baltimore. I did that show in West Virginia. And then we did a show for my, our buddy, Norm Connors out in Pittsburgh, who had a promotion called Steel City Wrestling. And um, it was on that. Like, I wasn't even booked for the show. It was just like, you know on the mat i wasn't booked but i showed up just hanging i took a six-hour bus ride from philly to pittsburgh i said hey look i know you got a couple shows i know you got a full show i'm just coming out just to hang out you don't have to no pressure i just want to hang out because i like norm so i take the bus out and he throws me a bone and puts me on uh 
you know, one of the uh, early shows. He puts me on the first night. I was on the second night, which is fine. And uh, I wrestled. I wrestled a guy who's doing a Batman gimmick. Uh, the guy was dressed as Batman, and he was like the local doink. Uh, his name was TC Reynolds. He did the. He was TC Reynolds. You paid him extra. He wrestles TC and Doink. But this night he had a he had Batman. I was like, okay, which is funny. I had a little chin hair, you know, take away my sides here. I had basically the blue meanie chin hair. And at that time I had a buzz cut and everybody said I looked like King Tut from the Batman movie or TV show. So this made perfect sense. So and I learned another lesson in that match where he's like, kid, uh, the more they pay me, the more I bump. And they're not paying me too much tonight. So I was like, great. Oh God. So you're so you're bumping tonight, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. But well that ring, the ring that I love Norm, but the ring he used was horrible. Like it was like bumping on this floor. It's, it's like somebody like a deck builder built it, you know. It's just like horrible. It's a horrible ring to bump in. And I'm missing moonsaults like an idiot. So and which in that match, I set Batman up. I go to do the moonsault, he rolls out of the way, pinned me which would be the story of my career long after that. And what was, uh, what was Batman's finisher? Oh, I don't know. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even remember. I, <laughs> I was just like, holy bleep. I'm wrestling Batman. <laughs> but, um, but the lesson, you know, one of the things Al taught me is watch every match on the show. Mm. So I, I finished my match. I go in the back and I watch the rest of the show and I wanted to watch Raven's match because I was a big fan of, scotty you know i always thought he was a great worker i thought he had great psychology and he was wrestling uh, a classmate of mine a guy named ray the crippler roberts so i was like oh and ray was like more of a brawler uh ray is an inter interesting individual which if i ever write a book i gotta do something right he did time in prison for bank robbery and um you know we were training at al's and like hey you want to go get something to eat? yeah sure and we're driving i was like uh, just go uh, go straight down here. He goes, I never go straight, man. I always go forward. Because in prison, going straight means you're you're on the side of the wall. Oh. Yeah. I've never told that story. Yeah. You'd be oh, like, wow. Yeah. You go, oh, yeah. Go straight down there. I, man, I never go straight. I always go forward. You know, because going straight, man, you, you were legit. So he was wrestling Raven that night. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. You know, you're going to have an ECW style match. Ray's great. Ray Ray shouldn't have got over, but he did. Hmm. I don't know how, but he did. And uh, it was a great match. And uh, I, you know, they come back through the, down the aisle. I go, hey, uh, uh, great match to Raven. He goes, ah, hey, nice moonsault. I went, oh, hey. oh, oh. <laughs> you watched my match, you know? So after that, we went to, uh, you know, we had the show and then uh, we all, crashed like a bunch of frat boys at norm's house sleeping on the couches and on the floor and had a couple uh adult beverages and hung out we had we we're very mutual virtual very cordial next day we wake up and he goes eh, you want to go get something to eat i was like yeah sure and so me stevie raven i think norm went around the corner to a local chinese restaurant and uh that's where he kind of pitched the idea to blue mini he's like hey um uh, you know we got this idea for uh, a guy to be Stevie's lackey. Le Stevie's my lackey, but we want to have a lackey for a lackey, kind of like the Russian dolls, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the guy we have in mind is 
big guy and the guy they had in mind made me look like sky low low uh <laughs> i was huge but he couldn't bump he couldn't wrestle and he's like but hey you can bump you do a moonsault you want to be i was like bobby and ecw right he goes yeah i was like then i'm in and then uh initially the blue meanie character didn't come up there yet it, it came up like maybe a month later i debuted october 95 at uh at the sub arena and that was the night cactus jack uh accidentally lit terry funk on fire which accidentally lit a fan on fire oh because it was on a cloth wasn't it and did terry fling the cloth into the crowd no cactus jack went to hit uh terry funk with a, a flaming chair not realizing that the uh the flames would melt the tape that held the chair to oh. held it out the so I, I, we all watched it. You know, there's always a monitor at the arena. So you watch it. And Terry goes like, you know, and then there's like a certain fan in the crowd that reached over to try to pat him out. Like, oh, you know, but burnt his arms up. Jeez. And then that, eventually that led to a lawsuit, which ECW won. Because once you go over the rail, you're fair game. You know, if it mm. happened that the other way around they went over to round somebody got it would have been something else but uh i debuted at that show footage got ixnade you know the old uh you know throw it down or whatever so i had to re-debut the next month but in that process we went back out to pittsburgh for norm and uh norm uh and driving back from that show from raven's house from Northwest Pennsylvania back to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where Raven lived at the time, like six hour drive. And we just talked wrestling, which was better than any wrestling, ex you know, car rides are better, a better training experience than anything you could do in the ring. You know, just talking about the business with people who've done it. And that's where he pitched the idea for the blue meanie. And he was like, he's doing this hard sell, which he didn't have to do. Hey, did you ever see the blue, uh, yellow submarine when you're a kid? I was like, Oh, yeah, I uh, know. He goes, You ever see the Yellow Submarine? I went, Yeah, when I was a kid. He goes, I remember Blue Me. I was like, uh, Yeah, a little bit. I, I want to call you the Blue Meanie. Yeah, you want to paint your face. You want to do this, that, and the other thing, but uh, just dye your hair. Like he was doing this whole, you know, you want to paint. It's so great. You want to paint your whole body blue, but uh, just do your hair for now. I was like, Bobby and Issa W. He goes, Yeah, I go, uh, I don't care. I'm cool. So, and did then, you have, did you have blue hair at that point? I know you said you had um like the 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 some of the 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 goatee and stuff but you blew there as well uh no but ironically i was at that age where i was trying to establish an identity and at that time if in america one of the best basketball teams of all time was the chicago bulls and Dennis rodman was on those teams and he was coloring his hair all different kind of colors and i was like man I should probably just dye my hair blue or something. I literally was thinking I should do my hair blue, but I didn't know how, you know? And then here comes Raven and pitches the idea for the blue meanie where I'm going to have to dye my hair blue. And I was like, well, I better learn. And, uh, it broke my grandmother's heart, you know, cause I was her uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, blue eyed baby, you know, and here was the last now blue hair, blonde eyed baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> well played. Thank you. Um, yeah, it broke her heart. You know, yeah, she, I was her boy. And uh, so, uh, yeah, then I learned how to dye my hair blue. And uh, 
we went, got back to Jersey and he was doing a show for, there's a promotion called new Jack city wrestling. Oh, any connection? No. Oh, he, what, a, what a shame. That'd have been amazing. But he did, he did eventually end up working there, you know, doing a couple shots, but it, yeah, it, it was like the precursor to Jersey All Pro and all those promotions that came along. But um, he was doing a match that night, and um, he had me come out as the Blue Me. I wasn't, I was, you know, Brian Rollins, but they're like, come in the ring with Steve Richards and the Blue Meanie, and I had to practice being the Blue Meanie because, uh, you know, he, we would we would go to, uh, you know, we'd be at Raven's house, and he would sit. Like kind of what they do at the performance center now, they call it skull sessions. That the training ones where they go through, they do like give me twenty seconds on a, a promo about this or that sort of thing. Raymond would sit in a chair. I would have to stand in front of the room. You go, Blue Meanie, do a uh, promo on toilet paper, and as the Blue Meanie, I would have to do a promo about toilet paper, wow. and which I won't do now because I know you're cheeky and you'll try to get me to do it. How- how dare you? I was <laughs> never going to say, go on, do, do, do a promo on toilet paper. Uh, I've destroyed. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's my my finishing move. Uh, nah, promo scared. on toilet paper. <laughs> I've, I've so many matches that were the shits. Uh, I should have a toilet paper sponsorship, you know? I'm trying not to swear. but uh, You can yeah. swear if you want. It's fine. Okay. It's only me editing, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, the Scottish in me. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend in Scotland who is like, man, this is how, this is how you're going to have to properly swear. And I did some a, a thing for my podcast where I, I was angry about something. He was like, oh, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> You, you now have an excuse to. You now have an excuse to swear. In my DNA. Exactly. I got, I got paperwork. You, you know? can now swear and tag team with Drew McIntyre. Like, yeah. now you're allowed to do both of those things. In fact, it's mandatory. Yeah. It has by to be. Law. Okay. By law, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> we got to talk more about... Uh, we've got loads of other stuff to talk about. We've got to get to your second match. We haven't even got to your second match yet, Meanie. So let's do that now. Uh, it's Ricky... All- it's all good. Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage was your first one from WrestleMania 3. What would you like your second match to be, Meanie? Uh, and here I am uh, breaking my own rule of chronolog- being chronological. If I could say that with first day with the new mouth, I apologize. Uh, I'm breaking that rule. I'm going to have to go before that match happened. And there was a, a first match that really made me like on the edge of my seat. You know, growing up, a WWE fan, we were just fed, you know, jobber matches on TV. You know, you didn't really see competitive matches. You didn't see star versus star, really. Uh, unless, you know, you were, you had cable and then you go watch uh, wrestling from the spectrum that on uh, the local, we had a local cable channel in Philly called Prism and they would have, they used to be live. The spectrum shows used to be live, but then they would show them the next morning because they wanted more people to come out to the shows. But long story short. Um, and then one day I'm watching WWF TV and this week, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas against the wild Samoans for the WWF tag belts. Fortunately, no fall here, but Rocky Johnson, we're back. Rocky Johnson is taking tremendous sums of punishment. Look how vicious the Samoans are this week. Lou Albano putting a lot of pressures on the Samoan. Atlas wanting to come in and help out Rocky, who's really having his problems over in the Samoan corner. You just can't spend any time over in the Samoan's corner. Normally during a show, 
you're used to like three or four squash matches, couple interviews, upcoming events. This match was like the entire show. Okay. And this is my first experience with watching one match on one show for a title. And uh, it was the duration of the show. And, and it ended up with Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas winning the WWF tag belts from uh, the Walt Samoans, which they, you know, this, you know, the Walt Samoans at the time had been the team. Um, and, uh, you know, Mr. Fuji and my, Mr. Saito were always tag champs. And then the Walt Samoans were always tag champs. You know, I started watching 82. So here you got Rocky Johnson was one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, good looking dude, well built smooth in the ring had one of the best drop kicks i've ever seen tony atlas powerhouse you know it was like they were the perfect mold for a tag team you have the the fast guy and then you have the guy who's a machine like brett hart was the technician jim the anvil Neidhart was the tank that ran him over kind of thing that's always a good formula for a tag team and rocky johnson and T tony atlas had that you know uh rocky was flashy tony could uh you know power you know power slam you and drop you i remember the photos of him you know gorilla pressing hulk hogan over his head and stuff like that so when they became a tag team i was like oh this is amazing and this match uh i remember it was it had to be 84 i was living in Atlantic city i lived on atlantic avenue i was on the third floor apartment and i was watching on my television and i had like there's a the kitchen table we had a kid a table that's kind of like a kid's table in the living room my hand was like on the corner like this i'm on my i'm literally they say edge of your seat i was literally the edge of my, on the edge of your seat i'm watching as the action's going and there's near falls and i put my face in my arm like oh and my face is getting beat red because i'm just like maybe it's my first uh physiologically uh experience with anxiety as a kid because <laughs> this match was so like on the border of like i want to see rocky johnson and tony atlas win but at lou albano you know he's going to come in and cost them the match somehow you know because i i'd always seen you know the strongbow brothers you know get screwed out of tag team opportunities with fuji saito uh you know, one, one week's Fuji and Saito got screwed at a tag belt. So they did a sit in in the ring where they sat in the corner and nobody else can wrestle until they got justice and all this stuff. So I was so used to seeing, you know, tag teams get screwed out of opportunities. So I was like, this is going to be one of those times. And then, you know, Captain Lou, he's going to screw him. And then like, you know, you see one of the Samoans holding either. I think it was, he was on Tony Atlas and, Captain Lou comes in with the chair and he gets to swing the chair. Tony Atlas gets out of the way and he breaks the chair over off either off or seek his head. And that's the first time I seen a chair break over another human's head. It wasn't in a movie. And I, you know, I'm in my living room. I'm just, you know, standing like, oh, like, you know, somebody's about to score a goal. You're just like, oh, you know, hits him, hops on him. One, two, three. And I exploded, you know, and I cried. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the time. A 
8 minutes and 22 seconds. Here are the new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champion, Tony Atlas, Rocky Johnson. The first match I ever seen was a, a title change, but it wasn't as dramatic as this one. You know, that was the, that was the, you know, Green Martel versus Fujin Saito was the bug that bit me. And I'd seen a lot of wrestling since then. So this was like the first organic tag match where like I'd been a fan and so used to seeing the heels screw the baby faces out of a, a title win. So when the baby faces won, oh my God. My, and and so they, did, they did it stopping the heels from being naughty. Like yes. it's a step in and, and, and what I love about, and, and this is what, this is why I love doing this show is because hearing you talk about it, it's like you're there again. It's like you're, you're back in that seat. You're back on the edge of that seat. Cause you, you remember uh, it beat for beat and yeah. the emotion that you felt all the way along with it. Like wrestling's great when it does that to you. And, and it's great when you see people, it's great to see new fans of wrestling who, yeah. because we, because we've been fans of it for so long, like it's easy to become somewhat jaded by it. And I think yeah. wrestling's marked by a lot of people who are very jaded. Yeah. And it's nice to, when you meet new fans who are excited about stuff that you, you're otherwise, you otherwise hear people get upset about, you know? Yeah. 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 Same vibe. Yeah, man, there's something to it, you know, and uh, I'm a big fan of reaction videos. Hmm. Like where I'll watch somebody listen to us, you know, they'll show uh, a 10 year old, listen to Van Halen for the first time or listen to black Sabbath for the first time. And you see these kids react to the music. And it brings me back to that moment of how I felt when I heard that same piece of music. So me describing that match to you really did bring me back to Atlantic city, 1984, 85, you know, being in, in my living room in Atlantic city and just all that emotion. And, how it affected me physically. My face was red. My ears were burning. I could touch my ears and they were burning hot. And just, I was just like, uh, and like see the chair come up and boom. And, you know, I, 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 you know, came up two thirds of my seat. And when the three count hit, I, I was, you know, I was done, man. I was done. And, uh, and that's why like, I, you know, you grow up as a wrestler, you know, a fan and you become a wrestler. And then when people start talking down on the business, that's where the, the outrage comes and you just want to fight a guy just because, you know, everything, I, my whole life, since I was seven, eight years old, wrestling's been my life. So you're insulting something that brought me joy. That's where my anger and defensiveness for the business comes because this business has brought me so much joy. It's, it's been able to give me a, a chance to, support my loved ones, you know, you know, they say, you know, fan, you know, they say, you know, wrestlers go, Oh, I paid my dues. Well, families pay dues too. When you're starting out in the wrestling business. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I signed with WWE, you know, I got the call from Bruce Pritchard to show up so Sunday, you know, for Sunday night heat, I hung up the phone, took 20 steps to my living room, told my grandma, Hey, put all the bills in my name. She's like, why? It's like, uh, I just signed with the WWF and, she had to, you know, grab a couch or a chair or something because her knees almost, she almost went down. You know, but I, I walked in the room. I looked at my mom. She's on the couch. My grandma was in the kitchen, put all the bills in my name. Why? I signed with WWF. And, you know, I paid for every 
prescription. I paid for rent. I paid the electric. I paid it. She didn't have to put, you know, you, we, we got to do grandma, put the money in the bank, whatever your, your retirement comes in, put it in the bank, enjoy it. I got everything else, you know? So that must've been amazing. Cause I know you, you've said in, in interviews in the past that you were raised by your grandparents. Yeah. So uh, to, uh, to give back must've been incredible. You know, uh, I, I always say I was raised my, my mom was a single mom and my grandparents, let's take a little pressure off you, you know, because she was where it was me and my sister and my sister was older. And then eventually my sister, when my sister was 18, she can support herself. And she went off and had a family and got married and stuff. But then there's, you know, me, the baby boy, you know, last of all the, uh, 14 grandchildren <laughs> and, uh, which got heat amongst the other cousins, you know, uh, they, Young, they were youngest always gets the preferential treatment that's how it works yeah yeah so the the the, the one who was the youngest before i came along resented it a little bit but that's a whole another story for the book um but yeah that's again back to my initial point talking about this match there's emotions that a wrestling brought out of me and mm. uh, I, I may have never experienced before i mean yeah i watched you know football i watch baseball i watch hockey and all that stuff but uh you know wrestling was every week you know sports have off seasons wrestling was every week you know and there's always something new and uh it brought out this match particularly to bring it up brought out a, an emotion to me i you know uh had never felt before and um the fact that I got a little bit of goosebump itch going on there, just talk, thinking about it. That's what it's all about, and it? that's what it's all about. Uh, to, to go back to the um, the phone call that Bruce Pritchard gave you, did you expect yeah. it? The, the little backstory with that is uh, WWE initially wanted me uh, to borrow me from ECW because they, you know, uh, it's the Monday Night Wars. There was Raw versus Nitro. Nitro had the Nitro Girls and uh, Vince Russo. I wanted to borrow me and bring me out as the raw boy as like a knock at, you know, well, eventually we wind up, you know, once I signed with WWE, we wound up doing it uh, with me and gold dust and you know, all that stuff. But uh, there's a show WWE was in Baltimore and I was supposed to be in I, WWE reached out to ECW, Chris Candido, Paul Heyman both said, Oh yeah. Blue media will be there. Never told me. Uh, oh Yeah. So uh, WWE had the Blue Meanie booked for Baltimore to be the Raw Boy. They had, and this is back in the day with AOL Instant Messenger. And uh, Al hits me up because where were you? I go, oh, what are you talking about? I don't know what, what do you mean. Dude, you were booked for Raw. I went, what? Like, I had no idea. I, 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 you know, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, they had music for you. Your name was on the lineup sheet. So, you know, luckily I went to Vince Russo and told him, Hey, you didn't know anything about this. And, uh, you know, Vince Russo, bro, that, that effing Paulie, you know, they used me as a, as a way to rib WWE or whatever. So, which so was it a deliberate thing that they didn't tell you about it? Was it a deliberate? Yeah. Just rib? to kind of, you know, oh, pull a rib, and, a little ripsky there. Cause Al, Al hit me up. And that's another thing I, you know, when somebody breaks you into the business, you're a representative of, of that person. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no, everything I do in the wrestling business is a representation of Al Snow. If I train somebody or coach somebody, 
they become a representative of me. So uh, Al reached out to me right away. So I was like, dude, what's up with Meanie? So I told him that. Uh, and I kept that little nugget in my uh, vault, in my uh, mind vault. I was like, well, if this opportunity ever comes up again, I, I, I'm running with it. So, uh, again, here comes Norm Connors into the story. Uh, I did a show in Pittsburgh on a Sunday. We did ECW Friday, Saturday, and we did the Indy on, in Pittsburgh on a Sunday. We drive back. I get home, and there's a voicemail. Hey, Ryan, this is Al. Give me a call. Blah, blah, blah. So I call Al. He goes, hey, uh, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good. He goes, hey, uh, are you under contract to Paul? I went, nope. He's like, are you, uh, how loyal? Like, if there's, say an opportunity arose uh, to go to WWE, would you take it? I went, yep. And uh, he's like, all right. And he hung up, and then maybe in a half hour later, Bruce Pritchard calls. Uh Hey, Brian, how you doing? Bruce Pritchard, uh, need your information name, uh, you know, name, city, social security, all that stuff. Like, Oh, he's like, Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. I felt so bad. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to say in ECW, I love deep being in ECW, but WWE's the bug to bit me, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I said, I had a family to support and I was feeling pressure, you know? Like I said, they were paying dues too. And I didn't feel like I was pulling my weight in the household. So I was like, yeah, I got to do this. So um, it's like, all right. And it, it was a weird situation because uh, Sunday Night Heat was in Philadelphia that Sunday. And uh, instead of doing the normal evening show, they had to do an afternoon show because the local sports team, either the Flyers or the Sixers, had the nighttime and they were doing the daytime. So I had to go, you know, stuff showing up one o'clock. I'm showing up at 10 a.m. I show up and you know, he's like, all right, be there Sunday, 10 a.m. All right. So, and uh, I'm, I'm getting the feeling again. Face, you know, got warm. My legs were tingly, you know, uh, you know, just like rubbery, hung up. Mouth, my tongue got fat. I was just like, oh, you know, I was like, just, I was processing it. I was in the, in the, in the, you know, you always see that video of, of somebody who figures out they won the w- winning lottery ticket, how that's got to feel. Well, in that moment, that's, I figured out, I processed how that feels. And so I hang up the phone, take 20 steps to the living room. Cause we were in a small apartment in South Philly, you know, uh, you could hear everything. So as I walk in the other room, Hey, uh, put the bills in my name and the rest is history. I showed up and debuted in my hometown. How was the Philly reaction to you on your on your first night? Uh, pretty good, man. Yeah. It, um, the weird thing, it, like, uh, you know, I didn't show up for DCW shows that weekend. Uh, and how and how did that go down? Because it can go one or two ways from from previous conversations I've heard with ECW guys. Either they're like, "It's all good, we get it, off you go," or how how dare you disrespect the family? So, which way did it go for you? It went well. Yeah. Um, like I said, I felt guilty, you know, leaving ECW because I was in a tag team with Nova and we were doing really good. And so he was the first person I called. I was like, Hey man, this opportunity came up. Uh, I'm going to WWE. And at the time, 
like uh, the sound guy for ECW lived the town over from Nova, and Nova just travel with him because you know the 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 travel's covered. So he drove down with him. He drove everywhere. The sound guy does you know save on transportation, and he was in the van with the sound guy. He's like he was on his way to ECW. That loop was in Florida, so he's driving to Florida at the time. I was like, hey man, yeah, I got to go. He's like, dude, do do what you got to do. You know everything like that and then like once he got down to the sub show and everybody's like hey where's meanie and the word started spreading and there was he was at a show he called me from the show and he put everybody got on the phone you know bill alfonso got on the phone tommy rich got on the phone hey good luck you know hey man you just you know they, they bill alfonso guys like bill alfonso tommy rich they've been there done that and they knew what it was they're like Hey, daddy, take care of your family. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> do what you got to do. And then, uh, you know, everybody wished me well. You know, the, the only kicker is, you know, I tried, you know, I got off the, you know, I told my mom I, and grandmom I was going to WWE and I tried to call Paul. I think he knew, you know, he didn't get back to me. Tommy Dreamer, I called Tommy Dreamer. He's like, hey, man, it's a great opportunity. Uh, <laughs> you might not be the next round, but you're, you're going to make some good money. You know, this, uh, yeah, Tommy's very monotone. So, uh, yeah, I talked to Tommy and I got the blessing from the boys. Not that, you know, I needed it, but it was, it was very nice. It was very mm. cool. You know, that Do you think were- it was a case of Paul just chose not to take your call at that time because he knew and probably didn't want to talk about it at that moment? Well, you always hear, I always hear stories about other folks who go and like, uh, you know, the Dudleys are like, let's give us $1 more than what you're giving us. He's like, I can't, I can't afford to, you know, he knew they were going to go either way. So mm. I think when it came to me, he, he just knew, you know, and I, you always hear, you know, you know, people report back to you and so, somebody said something to Paul about me going to ECW and, and Debbie, who was his his assistant, Debbie Beaumont, rest in peace. She's like, oh, you knew he was going, you know, cause like my character was a WWE character, you know, yeah. very colorful blue hair. Uh, and this was right in the beginning of the attitude era, which maybe, you know, my character was like a couple of years too late. You know, if I gone there during the cartoony years, God knows what I could have done, you know, with, with merchandising and stuff like that. But once I got there, uh, you know, I was, I wasn't a WWE invention, you know, so uh, it was a very, and it was in a in a very, um, it was in a very Vince Russo e type way. Um, the whole idea of kind of a little bit on the inside, it's part of the job squad, all about losing matches, getting paid. But you guys, and it was great. It must have felt really cool to be back working with Al Snow again. Who was the guy that trained you from the beginning? Must have been like old times. Yeah, Al was the constant in my life. Yeah, There's certain people who who have been a constant. Al was a constant. Norm Connors was a constant. The city of Philadelphia has been a constant. I debuted for ECW in Philly, debuted for WWE in Philly, had my WrestleMania moment in Philly, my hometown. So uh, the only thing I was missing was, you know, I tried to get in the Royal Rumble in Philly. Yeah, I, I, I tried to lobby for that, but it didn't work out. But uh, yeah, Al was always a constant. You know, he trained me. Uh, I traveled with him all over, you know, those van rides, like I said, were very valuable. Uh, he started working for, you know, ECW and well, he, he did the NWA tournament. I drove back with him because, Hey, it's in my hometown. I'll drive back with you. You know, uh, he worked ECW. I, I, you know, I was back in Philly at the time and I went out and watched those matches where he wrestled, you know, ECW when he was, 
early before you know pre-head and all that stuff and then uh he went to wwe and then he came back he went to ecw wwe loaned him to ecw and you know there we are again in the same locker room so him being the 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 uh, conduit between me and wwe and me going there for the job squad within the job squad which was like an inside joke way it was just a locker room thing you know in wwe and then when he came to ecw he starts on the t-shirts and you look at his boots you know he had job squad stickers on his boots and stuff like that and then that that vehicle manifested in wwe with an actual faction and i you know that was my gateway into wwe through al snow you know i i thank god for today i met al just because uh you know not only was a great trainer he became my big brother you know uh he got me he talked me through a lot of you know i i knew he was the man when my grandfather you know i was the weekend we went for the nwa tournament in cherry hill new jersey we drove from lima to jersey and uh my grandfather was sick he had uh pancreatic can't pancreatic cancer no that was my grandma he, but he had lung cancer sorry he worked in the he worked in a factory asbestosis all stuff so that took its toll so I, uh, while he was at the first night, I borrowed uh, our friend Jason's car, who we drove with, to go to Atlantic City, see the family, everything. The night of the NWA tournament, we're driving back to the hotel, and there's like a, uh, we get to the hotel, it's like, oh, there's a message. I get the call. Hey, uh, you know, uh, this calls for Brian and have him call home. I call home and my grandma tells me my grandfather passed and I was with Al and, uh, I go back to the room and I doing my best to keep a brave face, you know, not to, you know, be the wet blanket in the room, you know, you know, sobbing and crying. And, you know, um, I was like, well, fuck, I gotta go back to, uh, I gotta go back to Lima, get my car and get him back. So I drove 13 hours from Jerry Hill to Lima, got my car, drove back go to my grandfather's funeral and there's a reef from Al Snow and his family. I was like, that's, he's the man. He's, he's genuine. He's, he's my friend. Uh, like I said, a lot of trainers take your money, train you. All right. You quit by I'm keeping the money. He became a, a, a friend. He, he, he became a best friend. You know, he can become an ally. You know, he, he looked out for me. He was the angel on my shoulder. You know, when I was living with him, you know, my first time, time I'm away from home for Easter, you know, his family made me an Easter basket and brought it to the school. So I could feel like I had a little piece of home with me, you know, or, or send me a plate of food over, you know, so you now I was starving. So they would send food, you know, over so I can have dinner and stuff like that. So me and Al and Al's family have been uh, pretty close. I believe people like that are sent into your life for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we thank God. Uh, and there was another person that that was uh, key in this. A woman named Phyllis Lee. I was going to go to Demolenko School, and uh, for a reason, logistics didn't work out. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I, you know. Living expenses in Tampa at the time were a little bit steep for like a one room efficiency. Me being broke, she's like, well, there's this other school, Al Snow, in Lima, Ohio, and. You know, instead of paying 600 a month rent, you pay 150 and you live in the school. I was like, all right. And Al was blown up at the time with his feud with Sabu. 
So um, I was like, all right. And the funny thing is, like, I, I drive to the, I drive 13 hours day after WrestleMania 10. My car breaks down in Ohio. I get a fix. I was like, you know what? I'll just stay here the rest of the night, drive the rest of the morning, drive to our school, go up the elevator, go, hi, is Al here? Hi, I'm Al. I'm leaving. And he, <laughs> he's like, hi, bye. And he had to leave because he was driving up to Michigan to uh, meet Dan Severn to get padding for the uh, school, for the ring or something. Dan had this deal on ring padding or whatever. Which at the time, I wish I would have just said, hey, let me come with you. Let me you come know? in with you, yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. You know, a great way to meet him. And then the next day, he came back. We, we loaded up the thing. And then we finally just, like, had a conversation. And he brought me in the office. He goes, hey, uh, I'm a straight shooter. Tell you how it is. Uh, I strongly believe in not lying because if you tell the truth, there's nothing to remember. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell a lie, you got to remember that lie. So I'm going to tell you what I feel. I'm not going to bull, you know, BS you, all this stuff. And uh, I, wrestling has prepared me for life in so many ways. And it started with how, you know, just that one conversation where I felt like I you meet somebody first time, but you felt like you'd known them forever. Yeah. And then that's, that's why, like, if I walked into a room with Al and I was there, we'd finished a conversation we just had like a year ago or two years ago at a convention, you know? That's the best. Those are the best kind of friendships. They really yeah. are. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You you're welcomed into the into the WWF and and from what I've from what I've gleaned is on your way out. Even then, there was some love there because they were kind of trying to wingman you into WCW, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, there there's a like like how I debuted for ECW and then I re-debuted. Hmm. They had uh, after WrestleMania 15, we went on a loop to the UK, which was my first time in the UK for the uh, post WrestleMania 15 tour. We went, did a date in Germany and three in UK. I'm actually a fun story where I'm sat right now. I can see one of the arenas that you, that you wrestled in. Which one? Uh, it was then known as the Telewest arena in Newcastle. Uh, it's now that, known as the Utilita arena, but I'm currently looking at it. And I'm very fond of that because we're in Newcastle. We go to the bar after the show, obviously. Right. And I'm a big fan of doing local things. So I go to the bartender. And go, you know, I'm, I've drinking in America. I drink Budweiser. I drink Yingling because Yingling's local to Pennsylvania, Philly. I said, give me a, give me the local. Give me something. 
I wonder what he gave. I, I think I think in my head I know what he's given you, but I want to see what they did. I want to see what they did. Or should I have you say it and then confirm it? I did they give you a Newcastle Brown Ale? Did they give you a Nuki Brune? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You had a Nuki oh. Brune. Nice. I drank a Newcastle in Newcastle for the first. Yes. My first Newcastle in Newcastle. That is where you do it. That is exactly yeah. where you do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, these are the things in my life that like I cherish. Just I had my first Newcastle in Newcastle, England. Again, it was a bucket list moment. I always wanted to go to the UK and uh, WWE, uh, the booking office called me and said, hey, uh, Mark Henry was supposed to go to England. He's injured. Uh, would you we want you to take a spot? I had to send him my passport and all this stuff. I was like, you know, I'm going to England. So we, uh, we do the trip in the UK. We come back and then we do a, a series of shows in Michigan. I want to say it was Kalamazoo. And unfortunately, Bruce Pritchard and JR called me to the side. They get, they're like, well, Brian, we have to let you go. Like, oh. like I just did, you know, wrestle, you know, I had to wrestle me in my hometown front of my you know friends uh you know i'm supporting my family and then i go get to go to the you know uk and then like i feel i'm feeling like a i'm feeling high you know it's like i'm feeling good and then we gotta let you go and just my shoulders just oh, you know just the air let out and uh you know like like anybody who's like being sent to the electric chair you know hey uh i could do better i could do better please give me another second chance and you know, Jr. is like, "Hey, uh, you know, um, go, go away, put on a fresh coat of paint, and come back. Maybe we'll work with you." You know, I, I you know, I try, I did my pleading, but eventually, I said, "Thank you so much for the opportunity." You know, so, and then I went and found a a, a bathroom stall and, and cried my eyes out for a little bit. Oh, bless you! Yeah, just like when Jimmy Snooky got pile driven on the concrete with uh, Ray Roberts, uh, Ray Stevens. I went and found a place I don't want to. So I, I come out and I'm like, Hey man, I see Mick. I was like, dude, they just released me. He went, what? Like, you know, just like, what? And like, I, the words started making the rounds. So normally when you get released, you figure you're done. Right. Mm. So mysteriously, they keep sending me airplane tickets. So, so I'm like, is it, is it like the 90 day thing they do? So like you're kind of, you're on gardening leave, but you're not. So like, you're still popping in and, nor, well, like with WWE back then, you had like uh, a weekly guarantee. Mm-hmm. You know, they pay you X amount no matter what. If you show up, you don't. You get X amount. Now, if you show up to TVs, you get an extra X amount. Uh, if you show up to a pay-per-view, you get that extra X amount. Now, if you're on the pay-per-view, you make that extra amount. Plus, three months later, you get a pay-per-view royalty. Right. And then... The place back then you wanted to be was the house shows. Mm. That's where you made the real money. So if you worked 15 minutes in the garden, you make, you can make whatever, you know, that's where the real money is. So I was making, you know, uh, TV, pay-per-view house show. So when they release you, you're, I guess you're supposed to just sit home that night or, you know, well, sit out to the, there's a 90 day non-compete or I guess whenever your contracts expires, because I was released the week after WrestleMania, but my contract was through October of that year. So I could have just sat home and collected that weekly X amount. 
Mm. That's what I was expecting to do. I was expecting to go home, to collect that check that they're they're guaranteed me, the downside guarantee. I was like, and you know, when I told Mick I was being released, it's like, well, dude, you'll make a killing on the Indies, you know, fresh off WWE TV, and I was getting into this whole mindset of what I'm going to do, you know. So uh, in the meantime, they keep sending me plane tickets and itineraries. And I keep going to these shows and I'm getting paid. And so you're then, going and you're just not on the show. You're just sort of there. I'm still doing hell shows. Like okay. it was insane. I was like, 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 I'm not going to just say, Hey, I thought you guys fired me. <laughs> Harumph. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep showing up. This is my job. I'm a, professional wrestler this is what i do so and uh in the meantime uh there's a fan base called strictly ecw which were like they're the group of fans that got ecw back on pay-per-view they 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 were dedicated to ecw and you know when ecw got taken off pay-per-view they lobbied to get ecw thrown back on pay-per-view well these same fans started a campaign called save the meanie so they lobbied, uh, they rallied this fan base. They emailed WWE, they called the WWE and harassed them, you know, save the meanie. So I'm sitting at home in Philly, same bedroom I was sitting in when uh, JR called the, I mean, Bruce Pritchard called to hire me. JR calls and goes, hey, mean is JR. Hey, JR, you know. Well, there's been a, a reprieve from the warden. Uh, I think we're going to give you another try, another chance. I was like, all right, cool. I, uh, you haven't really let me go away. But... Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, in my mind, I'm like, okay. Yeah. So the next loop's in Chicago. I show up and I run into Triple H in China at the airport. They're like, hey, we hear you're back. Congratulations. All this stuff. And there's a f- and. I don't know how true it is, but where it is, like a few of the guys went to Vince is like, Hey man, you, this guy didn't even get a chance to do anything and you're letting them go. And you know, there's word that Sean Waltman might've said something. I don't know how true it is. Uh, you know, how wrestlers like the bullshit and then uh, mm. where it is. Rock mm. might've said something. Uh, okay. Rockers. Like I was cool with stone cold from the ECW days, you know, and, and rock we were all cool with. And there's a moment where we're at TV in the TV locker room and uh, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Rock was doing something with Kane and him and Russo. I was in the TV locker room and we're, you know, watching the show and Vince Russo and Rock are going over what he's going to say with Kane. I was like, dude, you know, Kane's got that thing with the voice box, you know, like I'm Kane. And I had remembered, I'd seen Dennis Leary do something about, you know, imagine a guy with a voice box, you know, ordering something through the Wendy's drive through you know, you know, Hey, I'd like a cheeseburger. Hey, you make a fun of me. No, I'm not making fun of you. I was like, I didn't say this. Yeah. I presented it as my own idea. I was like, Hey, why don't you go in the ring? You go, my name is Kane. I'm a Rudy Pooh candy ass. And they were just like, all right. And he went and did it. I was like, Oh my God, he did my idea. So I don't know if that idea stuck in his head. Like, hey, he gave me an idea that worked out and let me go to bat for I don't know. You know, but somebody came to me in production. Uh, he's like, 
a couple people spoke up for you. I was like, oh. And then Ventruso comes to me and goes, bro, they, our email system and our phone banks became inundated with emails and phone calls, saved the meaning. And then Russo went to events and it's like, it's like, well, maybe we made a mistake. <laughs> and then they brought me back. So short story long, uh, the second time they released me, uh, they sent me to Memphis. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking out of sight, out of mind. So when they released me the second time, there isn't this big uproar. Uh, you know, Bruce calls, let me uh, go. I'm like, at this time, I was just like, I popped. I was like, all right, cool. I'm done. You know, whatever. You're happy that you kind of, you it, it, you had a chance to go in and do it again, yeah. get some more mileage. And now you can, in a kind of way, even though you're not kind of leave on your own terms, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And Bruce, getting back to your point, Bruce made the uh, offer to call WCW for me. Call a call. Uh, JJ Dillon, he's like, Yeah, I'm friends with JJ down at uh, WCW. I could put a word in for you. And stupid me said, ah, I think I'll go back to ECW. But really, it, it was kind of like picking it, you know, you take a ticket with the, do you buy a ticket for the Hindenburg or the Titanic? <laughs> At least, at least you know people on the Hindenburg. Like, yeah. at least, at least you can chat to your mates on there. They're both going down. They're both tragedies. Mm. Uh, but one's got your mates in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had you chose a ticket on the Titanic though? Um, I, I, I think I was. I was like, man, I could have got one of those sweet deals where they own. We're not going to, you know, so I heard guys got paid to stay home after, you know, you know they bought WCW. I was like, the, the, no, the famous Turner deal where you sign with Turner as opposed to WCW. And yeah, you just chill for ages. I was hoping, you know, maybe being a WWE talent coming there, they think they, they think they're getting, you know, whatever and get me one of those Turner deals. You know, I could just, you know, sat home for a year and drank beer like Kevin Nash. <laughs> was anybody in that in WCW at that point that you would have liked to have worked with had you said yes to the Titanic? Uh, I definitely would like to work with uh, Bill DeMott, Hugh Morris, because I thought our characters were, I thought, I always thought that Hugh Morris was kind of like a takeoff of the blue meaning with the, mm. you know, the, <laughs> you know, the kind of stuff I was doing. And we both did moonsaults. We could do a battle of moonsaults match or something like that, you know. Nice but, yeah, anybody i'll work on anybody you know mm, i like i like the idea of that um want to yeah. talk a bit about um what you're up to now and such but before that we've, we've still got to get to your last match yeah. and i like to spring this on people as well just a little bit of fun it's nothing bad i promise um as well as taking three wrestling matches you can also take with you on the island a movie an album and a luxury item oh wow so a luxury item can be something that's got some sentimental value. It can be a piece of tech that you might want to use on the island. Just something with a bit of meaning, something that reminds you of home. Uh, we'll get to that last. But what would you like your movie to be, meaning? Man, there's so many good movies. Uh, and also, like I said, if you ask me this question about the matches, I might have said something different. It depends on the day. You know, some days I listen to boy band. Some days I listen to Slayer. So uh, movie, uh, same with movies. And I would probably have to say the natural with Robert Refford that just, uh, you know, just like a good wrestling match, there's a build and, you know, there's peaks and valleys and all that stuff. I don't know if you ever saw the natural Robert Refford. It's a baseball movie. 
I know uh, of it. I've not seen it, unfortunately. Uh, Robert referenced this, uh, some, you know, this great baseball player uh, gets into the major leagues, has a fling with a, a woman. Woman ends up shooting him, killing herself, and then like he kind of disappears for a while. And then they flash forward. You know, he tries to make a comeback, and he's like this thirty, almost forty-year-old rookie coming back to the you know big leagues. And uh, it makes his comeback, but then like uh, you know, uh, I think that you know the owners trying to tank so they can sell the team, but like he keeps he gets he rallies his team to win, and but then there's like this whole thing of like he's having a health problem because it, you know the bullet's still in him that they shot him with, and all this thing it leads up to you know him during the the championship game, he's at the plate. And like, you know, the, the guy throws and he, he, he winces and like you see blood on his, on his jersey and you see the catcher looking at him and he's telling the pitcher to pitch him on the inside because he knows that thing. And then the guy throws the right ball and he hits the ball and if the ball flies up and hits the uh, arena lighting and the arena lighting explodes and he's running the bases very slow-mo and stoically while every, very calmly as the world around him is cheering and, you know, very euphoric, you know, just like a WrestleMania match and there's explosions with the lights and the, 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 the lights are coming down like Sting's old entrance and the great American bash when he, you know, you know, stuff like that. And he's running and he gets the home plate and all that stuff. And then the final scene is the ball leaving the ballpark and then the ball landing in somebody's glove because there's another story on the side where him and his, his girlfriend from back in the day had a kid he didn't know about. So the movie ends with him having a catch with the kid that he, his, his son, he didn't know he had in a wheat field, you know, <laughs> you know, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm familiar with the trope then of like the the running slow motion around the baseball field, the smashing of the lights, oh. and the, it's it's a it's a it's a great trope. It's parodied and it's beautiful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Randy Newman did the soundtrack, and there's this music. Just go on Google or go on YouTube and go uh, the natural home run whatever. Uh, there's this music that they hit during that. I mean, the, on its own, it's a beautifully shot and well done and the story's well but the music you know oh my god amazing how about yeah. an album what album would you take and there's uh, a lot of band, there's a lot of bands that had a lot of perfect albums um you know you think guns N' roses first album that's a perfect album uh allison chain's dirt that's a perfect album uh my favorite album my favorite band's van halen uh, and their perfect album was, and this will be the album I take on the island to listen to is Van Halen Fair Warning, uh, because they were known as like a party band. And this is the first time they kind of got a little edge to them and Eddie's guitar tone changed a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a sound he calls the brown sound. And uh, it, I just listened to, I just went through a, a whole bunch of their audio books I didn't know that this album hadn't sold that well, but amongst pure Van Halen fans and musicians, uh, it's probably their favorite album just for the sound. And 
Eddie Van Halen's a genius or was a genius. Rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, I would have to take Van Halen fair warning just because from opening track to last track and, 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 and the, the key to a good shit, anything that's good, you know, a good wrestling card, you know, leave them wanting more, you know what I'm saying? You know, when it ends, oh, I need more, you know, like, NWA used to go off the air every week. Folks, we're running out of time. Oh, I want more. UWF. <laughs> I want, you know, we're going off the air. Oh, oh. when's the next week's show? You know, when Van Halen, that album ends, I was like, man, I need more Van Halen. Now need, what? Yeah. You know. So, yeah, Van Halen, fair warning. Beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah. You know, so many bands, there's band, a lot of bands who have perfect albums. That's a perfect album. So, yeah. And how about a luxury item? What we reckoning? <sighs> Man, is there something that you've got like with some significance to it? Something that you're, um, that you keep nearby, maybe? Yeah, but it's not. It's not really. They're not really luxury items. Like you know, uh, in my living room, I have a, a shadow box frame of my grandfather's travel shirt. Oh uh, wow! I, uh, yeah, my grandfather was who. As far as I'm concerned, he was my father. I never knew my real dad. Mm. He uh. And that's kind of why I went on my ancestry quest because I wanted to learn about my dad's side of the family. And uh, yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, my grandfather, who wasn't even a blood relative, you know, uh, my grandmom had remarried after my uh, real grandfather passed away or whatever. But he raised me like I was his own. And uh, in in the living room, I had it's like a one of those shadow boxes. It has his brown polo travel shirt they wore anytime he had to travel somewhere his hat and his glasses and his mask card and to me that's that and you know i'm not real religious anymore uh but there was a cross that always hung in my grandmom's wherever my grandma lived and it was above her bed but i keep it in the living room you know there's certain things i keep that remind me of where i came from whether it's my grandparents or my mom whatever you know my grandmom's phillies baseball cap i got you know hanging up you know different things uh but as far as you know luxury item i don't know uh sir wi-fi i don't know on the side i mean i mean we could we could probably <laughs> arrange it i mean i mean, no no we can't because the whole point is you're stranding if you have wi-fi you can watch any matches that's cheating <laughs> yeah I'm a big fan from uh, autobiographies. Uh, so it's just nice. a bunch of, bunch of autobiographies. You Which know? one are you reading at the moment? Oh my God. Uh, I just got Gary Hart's book that I, I, I'm dying to dive into, but it's, it's pretty big. So and I have ADD where like, you know, who, you know, who's got really good audio book or a uh, good uh, autobiography. I've been doing them in audio books, but Terry Funk's books, Morton Hargore is really good. Um, I just did uh, Daniel Bryan's book, mm. which is really good. And I, there's a lot of similarities between me and Daniel Bryan to where he grew up asthmatic. Mm. He tried to get into wrestling through Phyllis Lee as well. It didn't work out as well for him with Phyllis because he was going to go to Malenko's too, but then Malenko's school shut down. But, uh, I find a lot of correlations, you know, uh, with, myself and daniel bryan to listen to his book and stuff like that but 
Uh, probably autobiography. Give me a bunch of autobiographies. That's nice. Daniel Bryan's in the news this week, actually, because um, he had an interview with BT Sport and he was talking about how he didn't want to be in the WrestleMania main event and how detached he was from the match itself. And how he hasn't, it's sort of got him thinking about whether or not this is right for him. Uh, is it how you say how you connect with Daniel Bryan? Are feelings like that something that you can resonate with? Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you watch, um, Watch Rise of Fall ECW and Taz is talking about he's main event in every ECW pay-per-view. He's a champion, but he's going to the bit building and he's like, eh, it's, it's another match. I need, I need a new challenge. Hmm. And maybe, you know, it's a case where Daniel Bryan, he just needs a new challenge. You know, he, the match you know, initially was edge and Roman Reigns. Maybe he felt like, he, maybe he felt like he was crowbarred into that thing. He, in the interview, he says like that match was enough. Like you didn't need to add me to that match. So I guess there was a, a feeling of crowbarredness, for lack of a better term, uh, for being there. Like the match itself is incredible because he's incredible. Yeah. But you but you feel for him the fact that he came away and, and maybe, as you say, like Taz in the rise and fall of ECW, was a bit like, all right, what now? Like, yeah. And you know what? You know, that's Brian, Daniel Bryan being very considerate of other mm-hmm. people too because for him to say, you know, you didn't need me in that match. That match was perfect speaks to his character as a human being always about building people up you know yeah it's more fun i mean there's people who deserve to be torn down because they're garbage people but (laughs) you know there's people who are little literal human forms of shit but just uh when people need to be built up they i'm all for it you know and and like he like people came to me like yeah he, he he spoke up for you. And then, you know, the, when, uh, the net, night after WrestleMania and, uh, I helped gold us win the intercontinental belt. Um, we, we go over to the UK and we're on tour buses and they're playing like the, you know, the, uh, raw that, you know, we just did. And when gold wins the belt, I'm jumping around with the belt. Like I fucking want it. Right. I'm like, <laughs> so we get off somewhere. We get off the bus at the, like at the next hotel, Steve Austin looks at me and goes, Meanie, that celebration. And he just he starts laughing. And uh Jim Dotson, who's the security guard for WWE, if you remember Jim. Oh big, yeah, we know big Jim. He he comes to me and goes, Meanie, that's Austin was like popping for your shit on the bus. That's a that's a good guy to have in your corner. You know, just like, dude, I was just being me. I was just being a goof. Sounds you like know? you made a lot of friends there, which is brilliant to see. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been my downfall too. I was probably too nice and got along with her. I didn't step on toes. I didn't play the politics, but you know what? I would, I would rather leave somewhere because I'm too nice than stay somewhere because I'm an asshole. I rather succeed for who I am. I rather succeed for him than fail at being for something I'm not, you know? Yeah. That's that's more profound, but it's the yeah. same thing. <laughs> better to, it's always better to be. It's easier to be nice. It's easier to be nice. Like Al, Al Snow said that thing about honesty and the, the back and forth I have with, with my good lady is um, the conversation that we had once where I said I could never cheat on you. And she said, oh, why? I said, well, obviously, you know, I love you and all that, but it's the admin. It's the admin of, of two relationships at the same time. I just, uh, I, I struggle keeping up with one to do yeah. two. I just, I'd be tired. Yeah. Couldn't do, and I love you, but the admin mainly. 
Dude, I'm very fortunate to be in the relationship I'm in. I've been with my wife. We're not married, but 15 years. Mm. Sounds better than girlfriend. You know, people go, oh, where are you going to put a ring on it? But I'm very fortunate. Uh, There's a moment where I thought I was going to die and she stuck by my side. Uh, I had had a bacterial infection in my lung called an empyema. And, uh, you know, I say they were brutal. She breaks my balls about it all the time. I go, oh, they took out part of my lung. She's like, they didn't take that much. I was like, (laughs) I felt like it. Uh, The great storyteller in you, you just, that part of your lung gets bigger every time. To yeah. the point where they nearly both came out. Yeah, yeah. They had to fight to keep the other one. <laughs> There's a tug of war of good and evil between the bad lung and the good lung. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, she was she was living with me for like two months, and I got sick. And you know, uh, I, you're a man and you're macho, and you try to ride it out. And then like I'm I'm home and I'm starting to cough up blood, and I was like, ah, I gotta go to the hospital. <laughs> this isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> she got she went to the emergency room with me. And she sat there. She wiped my forehead when I was sweating. Like my face literally exploded with fever blisters and stuff like that because I had an infection. And uh, she she put the thing under me so I could spit up blood and she stayed with me. Now, and she could have left and went back to Connecticut where she's from, but she stayed with me. Mm. And she was there. She's the first person I saw when I, her and my sister were the first two people I saw coming out of surgery. And there was a moment like at the, you know, we're big fans of the band Blind Melon, and there's a Blind Melon song called "Toes Across the Toes Across the Floor" or something like that. And there's a part of the song where they go, oh, uh, and that was like our favorite part of the song. And then I come out of surgery, she comes over to me, and she's like, "You okay?" And she leans in, and I go, "Oh, my uh, first words to her." And she, she, she turned to my sister. She's like, "He's gonna be okay. He's gonna be fine. He's gonna be good." Oh, wow. Oh, I'm so, I'm really happy that you've got somebody like that in your life. Yeah. So I, I would go to war for her. Um, 100%. It's like that story where the, the mouse takes the thorn out of the lion's paw and she took the thorn out of my paw and she uh, stuck with me. Bless you, mate. Oh, I'm yeah, so happy yeah. for you both. That's so lovely. I'm a sappy son of a bitch. I was it's raised good to be. <laughs> I was raised by women. So I, I identify with women. It's just like, you know, my grand, I went to my grandmom's hair salon appointments my mom's hair salon appointment my sister whatever she was going through i identify you know i get it yeah i get it man. <laughs> I get it. from wrestlemania to retromania you're in a video game yes and it must be awesome to be introducing a whole new generation to the bwo that's so cool dude you know when uh, i was going to wrestle bradshaw at uh on smackdown a couple of, you know eons ago when we had our issue or never heard about that what was that you had an issue jb did you (laughs) (laughs) just news to me did you what no yeah we're friends now but people don't seem to notice but uh (laughs) um you know for a fan fan base that's smart they didn't nobody knows that me and bradshaw are friends now but uh we're sitting in bradshaw's limo and we're in our bwo gear and nova turns to me and stevie goes can you believe that we're still doing the BWO thing and then the BWO is still around. The NWO is not around kind of thing. But now here we are in 2021, the BWO is in a video game, a new video game. The fact that the BWO, which was supposed to be a one night thing, is supposed to be a one night parody. So we're doing the parodies in ECW became this thing that we're still doing to this day, you know? Uh, 
and it was a huge thing in my in my career to where like you know i live in south philly so like i'm in the heart of ecw wrestling culture you know walk down the street BWO, ECW, you know it's kind of like rocky without all the running you know just uh you know but yeah it's very cool retromania they, they were uh mike herman and the folks at retro soft studios were very kind enough to include us in their their video game amongst so many other great performers you know you got i'm i'm as i'm sitting here i'm looking at my retromania cabinet i'll show you oh let's say it let's say it i showed yeah. you the telly west arena earlier now i'm seeing oh look at this yeah i'll pay it back here's the yeah uh, the, the video oh. game they gave me the arcade uh, machine in the wild that's amazing yeah, that would that that was worth the. Uh, they could have just gave me that, and I would have been happy. <laughs> that, that that's my payment. I'm fine with that. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, Austin Idol, Road Warriors, Cole Cabana. Uh, oh my God! And it's a bloody good game. It it's is. a bloody good game. Considering, yeah, I got to play some of the early, even the early uh, test uh, models. You know. The, the, the demos they had, you know, because we were doing conventions and stuff. And I got to play early on. And even when they didn't have it fully formed, it was a fun game. And now that's it's done and they, they put the bow on it. You know, we're still waiting for PlayStation and uh, the iArcade, which I have here to play it on. Uh, that's in the final development stages, but that's going to be coming out on PlayStation 4 and iArcade soon. But it's out there on X, you know, Xbox, Switch. Uh, and Steam, uh, Retromania Pro Wrestling, it's such a fun game. Uh, it's it, it takes you back to the simpler times. You know, we're talking about these, you know, wrestling matches and how much more simpler things were back in the day. And, uh, you know, this takes me back to uh, my childhood. Retromania takes me back to my childhood. And uh, the fact that in 2020, yeah, I say this with everything, whether it's, Action figure, which uh, my podcast, Mind the Meanie, has action figures coming out through Cella Toys in the UK, uh, two piece. But whether it's action figures or a video game, that's a huge investment. You know, people are putting their money into something they're hoping sells. What can I do to make this product better and 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 sell it? And the fact that somebody said, "Oh, the BWO, the Blue Meanie, and Steve Richards." I want them in my product. That's a huge investment. And that means a lot to me uh, in 2021 when there's so much talent out there, current and former talent, thousands, there's thousands of wrestlers and they chose us. So that means a lot to me. We have to, we, before we leave, talk about video games. I need to mention this because um, uh, I, I remember buying WrestleMania 2000. Yeah. Nintendo 64 featuring yourself. Yeah. And, um, my younger brother used to make a lot of characters in it. And for whatever reason, the, 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 the thing he always did, he always insisted that it was your entrance that he had doing the That's dance cool. every single time. So you, you guided the career. Let's see if I can remember the character's names. David Lockett, <laughs> Mean Cliff, David E. Jig, and, um, and uh, I think there's one just called Beast. And so those, so that was you. So thank you very much for going on behalf of my brother Mike. Thank you for guiding the career of David Lockett. I knew you. I thought I'd have to mention David Lockett to you. He'll it appreciate was, that. And it was my honor. <laughs> <laughs> Mind of the meaning. Oh, my oh, sorry. oh wow! David Lockett will be delighted. He truly will. And Mean Cliff. 
Um, the, the the podcast, Mind of the Meanie, this That's came right. about during lockdown. So we're all sort of kicking our heels with stuff to do. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it, how did so with the podcast, what's the plan with it? Is it just a, a chance for you to vent and talk about stuff in your world, or do you have like bigger plans with the show? Uh, in my life and career, uh, I've always learned that like ha- not having a, a structured plan is usually the best plan because you make plans and if they don't happen, you get disappointed and then you want to quit. You know what I'm saying? Like with the, my wrestling career, I took it one week at one day at a time, one week at a time, positive yards, you know, po- you know, always just, just keep moving forward. That's the goal. Keep moving forward. Something gets in your way, figure out how to get around it and keep moving forward. You know, that, and that's my goal with mind of the, the mind of the media podcast. My, my whole, for most of my career or well, later career in life, people are saying, meanie, you got to write a book. And then, you know, in the age of podcasts, Hey, meanie, you got to do a podcast. You should, you got so many stories. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. But then you think about what do I want to do? What's the format? What's this? What's that? What's the other thing? And I know guys who did podcasts and they were burnt out within like a, a six months and stopped doing it. They're like, man, I ran out of things to talk about. You know, if they were doing it solo, just talking into a mic, they burnt out. You know, if they had a, a co-host and, you know, real life got in the way or whatever. So I was like, yeah, I want to do a podcast. But I don't know how. I don't know who with. And uh, just like I said earlier in this interview uh, about Al Snow, and like, you know, I'm a product of Al Snow going, he trained me henceforth going forward. I'm a representative of him. Who do I want to do a show with? That person's got to represent me not only on the show, but out in the wild, you know? and who can I trust to have a, you know, who do I have a rapport with? Who, who can I trust not to embarrass me? You know, and you go on, we have a show and he goes online and blah, 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 blah. Oh, dude, why'd you say that? Delete that. Stop. You know, I see a lot of that going on. So, uh, you know, I've still conventions and I kept running into uh, Josh Chernoff, who uh, was doing stuff, a lot of stuff with Bill after he does a lot of stuff with fight TV and he was always interviewing me at these uh, conventions. And then it was like the last show at the arena, MLW. He had a show called Inside the Ropes. And he interviewed me for that. And uh, there was a moment like after the interview and he, he stopped, you know, we stopped the interview and we were done. He's like, hey, man, I asked you a question. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, was it okay that I said, I was like, oh, that's cool. But I took that, that, I carried that with me. I was like, I went home. And, you know, I'm driving home one night and I was like, podcast, podcast, podcast. A big blue light bulb went over my head and said, Oh, this kid, Josh, we have a, we have a pretty good rapport. He's pretty good online. We're not saying anything stupid. Uh, let me reach out. And I, I DM'd him and, uh, he hit back and we, we hit the ground running. We, we start planning things and trying to figure out a name and all this stuff, but he's done a lot of the heavy lifting and uh, we were actually going to go into a professional studio because uh, he went to school at a, a local college called Mon- Montgomery community college. They had a podcasting studio. We're going to go in there, be proper. I kind of wanted to do something like, along the lines, like a Joe Rogan type podcast where two guys go in the room and just talk, you know, and then a pandemic hit school shut down. We're like, man, what are we going to do? 
So, and we're waiting, waiting, waiting. It was supposed to be like, we're going to do it in April and around March. We're like, man, he reached out. I was like, man, I think we're missing out. We, there's a lot of things we could probably be talking about. Let's just start it. It's like, all right. So uh, I figured out a way to, uh, you know, record and stuff like that. I'd bought podcasting equipment before. Uh, I figured out how to hook that up to the computer and somewhat like a ECW type setup, you know, just, you know, call it, you know, call it in the ring kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, we start doing the episodes and, you know, the first couple ones weren't, I mean, they were good, but I wasn't happy with the way it sounded. Eventually it became to what it is now. Uh, you know, during the, during the pandemic, a lot of people learned how to do a lot of things they didn't know how to do before. Uh, you know, with my wife, Mrs. Meany, she took up juggling. You know, just hey, let me let me do something to keep my mind active while I'm busy doing nothing because everything's shut down. You know, the world shut down. So through the podcast, we just learned how to, you know, make our own studio. Like I got this room in my house that used to be my mom's house, and my mom's room when she lived with me, and we just totally redesigned it, painted the walls blue, put it, hung up parts of my uh, career. I got ECW poster here. I got uh, my eight by ten here. I also have a flyer from when Al Snow put Val Venus's number up on Monday Night Raw for Pepper and Pepper. So I have all this cool stuff and I got a really good, you know, thing with uh road. I got a roadcaster and like this whole podcast has just been a, uh, you know, people have come along on the ride, you know, uh, short story long, uh, the mind of the media podcast is, is a companion piece to whatever you're doing in life. Uh, I want it to be something that if you're going on a long road trip or if you're going on an airplane or you're just lonely, uh, you get to put on this podcast and listen to two guys have a conversation about whatever comes to mind and you feel like you're in that conversation. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Driving in the wrestling business, traveling could be like the most loneliest thing. If you're just doing indies or driving six hours to an indie to do a show and, you know, on those late ride, you know, those late car ride homes, you'd be turning the dial, you know, before, you know, MP3s and you know, iPad, iPods or whatever. You, I would find like Dart Bell show where he's talking about UFOs and ghosts and stuff like that. Or you just find some kind of talk radio where you're kind of mentally in the conversation. Well, I would say this or I would say that. So that, I want the, the show to be that, you know, it's very inspired by, you know, like, Joe Rogan, where two guys just get in a room and just talk. Mm. And that's what I wanted to be. Uh, we talk about wrestling. We talk about movies. We talk about sports. We talk about, you know, the, 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 our, our catch phrase that he says in a minute, we talk movies, 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 music, sports, and a tons of useless knowledge. <laughs> so many things I, I get talk about that. I was like, oh, well, I know it, but I'll never make money with it. So hopefully we uh, entertain some folks with the, uh, my useless knowledge. Just relatable banter between two two yeah. I think we need a bit of that, you know? Yeah. And uh those early shows were marathons because we were just so happy to be talking to somebody outside the house. <laughs> you know, the first show, first couple shows might have been like three or four hours. <laughs> now we have kind of a formula to where uh we wind it down with a segment we call Ask Meanie Anything. Uh so like an hour and a half in, let's do Ask Meanie Anything and see where it goes. And we've we've dwindled it down to like a good two hours, which seems like a good sweet spot. You know, I always talk to people go, you know, 
what do you look for in a podcast? Do you like it long? Do you like it? for the most part, you know, the answer has been organic. Mm. Two people having an organic conversation. Uh, I'll be talking about something. It'll spring an idea in Josh's mind. He'll say something. It'll make me remember something. And now I go, Oh, that reminds me of, and before you know, we're, we're ending the show. The show and show credits are wrong. We're like, man, I want to post about the show, but I don't know what we talked about. We just talked. <laughs> Can't remember what we did. Yeah. We did all, it's true, but I wanted to be organic because like, we've had episodes of this that have gone 30 minutes. We've, I think we're, we're approaching the sweet spot for this one. Um, yeah. But then to look at the Joe Rogan experience, there's that one with Alex Jones, which is about five hours long and yeah. you're sweating at the end. By the end yeah. of that, you're sweating. That's a that's a heavy listen, but but compelling all the yeah. way through. Whether you believe it or not. No, exactly. Yeah. That's the beauty. You don't have to believe it, but you can listen. You go, oh, well, you know. You can listen and enjoy it and 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 embrace all the nonsense that well, it is. Uh, my, before- my thing is, I believe in theater of the mind. Yes. Uh, Big know. fan of that. Were you a fan of radio growing up? Yeah. Um. Uh, dude, I want as a kid, I won a contest to be a DJ for a day. I would listen to the radio. Then they had a contest. Oh, you could be a DJ. I was already doing my own radio shows. Uh, we had this toy at this kid called Star Studio, which is basically a karaoke machine. Mm. So slide the thing over and it would take the vocals out and you could sing over it. Well, I would do my own radio show. Hey, this is Brian. Same. Yeah. Here's my top 10 songs. And you know, <laughs> So the, the local radio show in Atlantic City was having a contest where you could be a DJ for a day. I just did what I was already doing, and I won the contest, and I got to go on the air for a night with the the local uh, DJ. I wish I still had the tapes, but I've lost so many things because I've moved so much. But, yeah, the radio has always been a good part of my life, theater of the mind. You know, I created a character, and later on I created a character called the uh, – the monger man and i would call in and then like an ultimate warrior type voice and blow somebody up you know i would have a gimmick you know something in the news i'm gonna blow that guy up and i would play like a, a sound of a bomb coming in like and then it became the point where like people tried to call in and imitate me and they're like nah we know his phone number it ain't you you know just stuff like that so that was like early training for pro wrestling as well you know just coming up with a character for, but this radio was always a part of my life. And then my, like my grandma would listen, always listen to Art Bell or uh, Phil Hendry, who was another great radio, who still is a great radio host where he would uh, make up characters and interview himself. And people thought he was talking to these real people. And he would just say the most outlandish stuff and people would call in and get hot and cut promos on this person. And it's really Phil Hendry with a microphone. And he would go back and forth between a mic and a, and a phone interview himself with this stream of conscious some of the most brilliant stuff you'd you'd ever see we had a guy over here called kenny everett who did something similar who would just layer on different voices and sounds and stuff and then this was this was in like the 70s and i think geez and and um with guy with guys like art ballot you think geez what could you do with adobe audition like could you imagine <laughs> if you had a roadcaster and adobe audition the world would be yours and yep. To see what they did without it, it was just flipping amazing. Like, the power of radio is it's still there. I still believe it. Oh my um, god. And with the power of wrestling, we come to our third and final match. Ooh. And we've had so far, uh, we've we've had some belters so far. 
uh, throughout. We had uh, Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Uh, we've had a war for the WWF Tag Team titles. What's your third and final one going to be? Uh, this this match is a little bit of a, a sleeper. Um, and there's two matches in my head right now. I'm like, which one should I pick? <laughs> it's Ooh. like, like who do I give the final rose to? Um, but I'm going to have to say Beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Arn Anderson from Super Bowl. Beautiful Bobby going out for his first major singles championship after winning every major tag team title imaginable. Bobby Eaton on his own, no partner, no manager. He's a man's man, and he does his talking dream in the ring. I'll tell you what it is, Jimbo. It's a rookie. A rookie, what I mean by a rookie, holding all the tag team titles. Singled out now, individual, by himself. It's a new season. It's the first season he played alone. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent from Minnesota, weighing 248 pounds, he is the WCW World Television Champion, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. A man that many consider to be the greatest television champion in the history of WCW. The enforcer, the man with a dynamic left hand, the man that has perfected the spine buster slam. But we talk about his left, we got to talk about Bobby Eaton's right. Bobby Eaton's right. We're talking about Ian Anderson's left, but we're talking about with Ian Anderson, I believe, the greatest television champion of all time. Fans here solidly behind the uh, humble young man from Huntsville, Alabama. We are part of we are part tonight of the of the greatest wrestling professional WCW wrestling in the world, and we're going to see a great world's television title match here, baby. Nearly, who nearly got the rose there? Uh, Dusty Rhodes and Ronnie Garvin versus Ric Flair and Arn Anderson as a five-minute TV match. It was uh, Dusty Rhodes' first match back from having the Four Horsemen break his leg, and he was a mystery opponent in this match. And uh, Magnum TA throws to the match. They came out, they're like, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the show, it's the Risky Business Boys against Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. And they don't say who the Risky Business Boys are, and then you know, do a promo with Magnum TA. He's like, and the Risky Business Boys about to take care of it. And here comes Dusty Rhodes and Ronnie Garvin to the ring and the crowd just goes insane because Dusty has been off TV in a way because his leg was, you know, the horseman broke his leg in the cage and the match was five minutes of just pure electricity. Just ever, you know, those Crockett, you know, the NWA Crockett crowds were awesome. You throw a punch and everybody would go boom, 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 like out loud, like boom, boom, boom boom and they they would pop you know so match like that like i that's a match i watched a lot rewound okay. a lot and just make other people watch you, dude you gotta watch this match so maybe i should have gave that match to rose i don't know but what, what's what's put um what's put on and bobby over the top my love of bobby Eaton. Mm. uh bobby Eaton is a masterpiece of a wrestler a guy who really didn't even talk, but like he connected with the fans as a heel. And then later as a baby face, he was a baby face in this match when most of his career, he was a heel and, uh, 
going against Arn Anderson for the TV title in a, in a, in a match where I wasn't expecting Bobby Eaton to win this match. I thought Arn was going to win the match because Arn was, when you think the NWA TV title, you think Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where now when Arn's got his podcast with, you know, the pod father, Conrad Thompson, uh, the logo for his podcast is the NWA TV title. He's synonymous with that belt. So you have, uh, you know, Bobby, beautiful Bobby Eaton challenging for the NWA TV title. Bobby Eaton, most of his career has been a, a tag team wrestler in a singles match. Arn's been in a tag team, but he's also been a pretty good singles competitor. How does Bobby Eaton do as a singles competitor going for a singles title? He's always won every tag team belt. He won the NWA World Tag Team belts. He won the NWA United States Tag Team belts. He held them both at the same time. When it comes to tag team wrestling, Midnight Express, probably one of the best tag teams of all time. Bobby Eaton being part of that team. And there's a psychology between being, you know, most of my career was tag teams. So, like, anytime I had to find myself going to a singles match, now I know this now, you know, benefit 2020 hindsight. It's, it's weird being a tag team wrestler going into a singles match. You know, you're used to a chemistry and a certain pace of a tag team. match. So as a, you know, going back and seeing a tag team wrestler, a guy who's synonymous, synonymous with being a tag team wrestler, a tag team champion going for a singles title, that always intrigued me. But the fact that, you know, Bobby won that match and like, I purposely grew out the mullet in high school because I was a Bobby Eaton Mark. Uh, I, I posted the photo and people are like, oh, nice smile. I was like, no, nah, that's the Bobby Eaton special. <laughs> I, I grew that specifically for Bobby Eaton. Uh, and the fact that, you know, there was, there were circumstances leading them at, like somebody was running down to uh, interfere and they almost missed the finish of the match because I forget who interfered, but Bobby Eaton hit the beautiful Alabama jam, leg drop off the top rope and orange and the way orange sold it you know, with kicking the legs out in the pin one, two, three, and the way Bobby sold winning, you know, you can win a match, but the way you win the match, is just as important. Uh, when I had my first singles career win in ECW, it was against Jason Knight and it was a simple schoolboy. I knew once those shoulders, once that hand hit three, I had to, you know, do like this big nasty plunge type sell and sell, you know, oh my God, I won. You know, I learned that from this match where Bobby hits the leg drop off the top rope. He does the pin, Arn sells it beautifully. The pin, one, two, three, and then Bobby sells it and falls, gets to his feet and falls back into the corner like in disbelief and the hand on the belt and he's holding up the belt and it's it's, it's just a thing of beauty, you know? Everything Bobby Eaton did was perfect. I, I can't, yeah, you, you point to some, you go some wrestlers. Oh man, that match was a clunker. I can't remember Bobby Eaton having any cl- any clunkers of a match. Is there a specific thing that you can think of off the top of your head that simply nobody did like Bobby Eaton? It's everything, man. Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work with Tracy Smothers a lot in ECW, and he worked with Bobby Eaton a lot. And again, there's another match I could recommend. <laughs> uh, the, the the whatever they, they, they changed their name the young pistols or the smoking gun, young guns or whatever against the midnight express at the great american bash in 92 91 
that's the perfect tag team match. I could have, there's so many matches, you know, find me on a different day. I give you different three sets of matches, but Tracy said he would work with Bobby and Bobby was so, so good that you can start to start doing some, he'd tell you the beginning of a joke. You go for a body slam. He sets you, sets you up with the thing. And then by the end of the, the, the high spot, he's hitting you with the punchline. He could literally tell you a joke while he's doing the match and nobody would notice it. You know, him and the guy in the ring would notice that he, he could do so many different things in the ring that him and his opponent would know, but the crowd would never be privy to it because he was so good at covering up his shit. You know, you know, like WWE has that thing now that edict don't slap your leg when you throw a kick. It's not because they, they there's this kayfabe thing. It's like nobody's learned to how to cover up their stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Shawn Michaels could throw a super kick and you would hear the noise, but you'd never figure out how he did it. Uh, with Bobby Eaton, he would he could throw a punch and would make a sound. But to the tra- to the casual eye, you couldn't figure it out. But as the more I watched him and I be, began to study him, I figured out how he made it, how, you know, how we would throw a punch and get that sound or stuff like that. Just simple things that, you know, a lot of people don't do anymore. You know, basics is always where it falls down, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, people just think you just throw a kick and slap your leg and nobody's going to notice. There's ways of doing things. And Bobby did things and, and, the things and uh, excuse me uh, yeah um bobby did things in a certain way that you know looked real when bobby threw a punch it looked real uh when he sold it looked like he was selling for real you know a lot of more people i mean there's so many wrestling uh, people need to really celebrate bobby Eaton a little bit more and, and study bobby Eaton a little bit more you know he's just He's awesome. <laughs> He's awesome. And he, you know, he, he, not, not a lot of people talk about it. More people should talk about him than they should be that they are now. You know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. This, this has been so much fun. Yeah. Chat wrestling with you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for coming and being on like genuinely, you know, yeah. somebody who watched it. Like I, I had a little part in my life. I had a sort of down, turn in wrestling and i came back as a as a laps fan in 99 and one of the first things i saw when watching wrestling again it was it was triple h of the rock having a random i quit match on raw and it was blue dust that was the first things i saw when i got back and and i was like this is okay i'm down for this let's do a thing so um it's i appreciate that Honestly, it's been so good to, to, to properly chat with you plug all the things that you are doing meanie shout about everything you're doing Oh, thank you very much. If you uh, would like to hear more banter like this, I have the podcast Mind of the Meanie where myself and Josh Ernoff every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to us banter just like this. Uh, we also have a Patreon where you can watch us record live the tape or whatever they call it, the kids call it now. You can watch us record every every week live on Patreon at patreon.com slash Mind of the Meanie. Uh, Mind of the Meanie also has action figures coming out where myself and Josh Chernoff, uh, it's a two-piece coming out from Cella Toys. So go to cellatoys.net, I believe, uh, and get yourself the, I, th- I believe Cella Toys is almost running out. If you don't 
if you're in America and you're listening to, you go to mindthemeanie.com and get them while they last. They're limited to a thousand uh, pieces. So we're almost running out of them. And uh, we also have the concept art that we're selling too. Uh, go to, uh, for Retromania, uh, go to wherever you get, play your favorite video games for Retromania Pro Wrestling uh, through Retrosoft Studios an amazing game if you would like to support the blue meanie directly go to prowrestlingtees.com slash blue meanie get yourself a bwo shirt uh if you wanted to support the mind of the meanie go to prowrestlingtees.com slash mind of the meanie you can get yourself this blue meanie inspired van uh, van hale inspired blue meanie shirt that i'm wearing right now for you uh, uh, I know it's an audio thing, but you know, <laughs> it's a yeah. lovely shirt. It's a lovely shirt. It looks like the Van Halen logo, and it's blue. It's lovely. Theater of the mind. Just think about it. Uh, but yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I know I'll for- kick myself after we're off the air, and I go, I should have talked about that. But you know, uh, this has been a talk about organic conversations. This has been a great conversation. I, I appreciate you having me. You know. We could have done more, but you got to leave them wanting more, right? Yes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.